most convenient for you. So church, we are starting um, a new series, um, but uh, ooh, there's a bug up here, I promise. All right, so <laughs> I know you can't see it, but it was, I don't know. I think they say if you're explaining, you're losing, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> so we're starting this series called, called the, it's out of the book of Daniel. Uh, but, but you guys know this, I only tell dad jokes on holidays, and as we all know, August 2nd is National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. I mean, we all knew that, right? Yeah, so, so we, here we go. We got to start there. So why is ice cream so bad at tennis? Because they have a soft serve. <laughs> yes. You know what I love about having people again? It's because before I was doing this and telling my bad jokes right to a kid, nobody was laughing because it was just me and a camera and a couple of guys helping with tech, but like, oh, they didn't like my jokes apparently. So, all right, where do you learn to make complicated ice cream dishes? At Sunday school. <laughs> yes. Yes. Got to get, oh, get the church jab in there. Why didn't the ice cream sandwich like the popsicle? Because they have a stick up their butt. <laughs> <laughs> in the ice cream shop, I, I tried to get a job there. They, they wouldn't hire me because I said I couldn't work on Sundays. Yes, I know. Today we're going to be talking about the book of Daniel. And, 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 and what's interesting is that there are choices that you and I have to make all the time. And Daniel had to make choices as well. And, and so, you know, we all make choices every day. And they say the average person makes 35,000 choices per day. 35,000 choices per day. And you're thinking, how is that even possible? I mean, if I sleep seven hours at, a time, at night, that gives you 2,000 choices per hour for the rest of the day. How is that even possible? You know, that's actually making a, just one decision every seven seconds. Every, 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 sorry, every two seconds. One decision every two seconds is the math. I, I know what you're thinking. One, 1,000 to 1,000. Did I make a decision? I don't know. Maybe you did. You're sitting here going like, am I going to tune this guy out or not? You know what happened is you're watching online and a notification popped up and you chose to pause the video, <laughs> check your notification and come back and, and catch up on the video. Or maybe you made a better decision and you swiped off of the notification. But we make decisions every day, don't we? All the time. When I get up in the morning, I make a rash of decisions. You know, I make a decision on what I'm going to wear. And then my, 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 my wife helps me look better because she goes, that doesn't quite match. I make another decision to accept her clothing advice. And, and so I, I make decisions every day, all day long. Am I going to stop for that red light or not? That yellow light, do I gun it or do I not? You know, we make decisions all day long. Some of them are pretty inconsequential and, and it's not that big of a deal. Like, do I smile and wave or do I just walk past that person? I mean, it could be a big, big deal, but, but maybe, maybe it isn't. What color of a mask am I going to wear today? Do I wear the face shield? I have a face shield. I love the face shield. And then like, what am I going to wear? Like, I have all these now accessories and, and what am I going to do and what am I going to say and, 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 and how am I going to phrase this in my email and how am I going to, all the different dis decisions and choices that we have in front of us all day long. You know, you can get decision fatigue. It's a thing where you, you make so many decisions that you get tired of making decisions. Here's a choice for you. Which is faster, hot or cold? Well, hot, because you can catch a cold. A flight attendant on an airline asked a passenger if they would like a snack offered on the flight. And the passenger says, well, what are my options? The flight attendant says, yes or no. Yeah, exactly. You only have those two options. But even in the middle of me telling you that story, you made decisions. 
You made a decision, was the passenger male or female? What color of hair did that passenger have? Because you kind of imagined it, didn't you, quickly in your mind? You even made little decisions inside of your own mind that, of, of what that was going to look like inside of you. We all make all these crazy decisions on and on and on. How many people said male? There's a male, per, male passenger. How many people thought it was a female passenger? No? Anyway, how many said, I didn't even think about that? Yeah, didn't even think about that. All right. So <laughs> the creative imaginative people were like, had a whole picture in their mind. It was like blue seats and the flight attendant had a, you know, I don't know. <laughs> when you imagine the scenario, you have choices to make sometimes. But see, some of the choices we have to make are more difficult than others. Like, like when to be brave, when to speak up or when not to speak up, when to move. Should I break up with this person? When do I say I'm sorry? Or, or how am I going to say I'm sorry? Or do I say I'm sorry? Do I confront this person? Or do I give them grace? If I give them grace, I might be seen as weak. But if I confront them, I may, might be considered a jerk. Like, like what's it going to be? I, I don't know what to do. Guys, this is important because we are living in an age where there's a lot of confrontation. There's a lot of discussion. And if you get on social media at all, everybody's spewing their opinion and they're making choices of how they share that opinion. And, and whether it's in social media or in person, you know, someone didn't wear a mask. It was on the news. Somebody went and maced them, you know, like that was a poor decision. They shouldn't be macing people if, because they're not wearing a mask, you know, like, like there's, there's things that people are making decisions of, do I be harsh or do I be soft or do I do this or do I do that? We're living in a world that is becoming more and more ungodly. So how do we as believers, how do those who are Christ followers live a godly life in an ungodly culture and in an ungodly world? How do you stand firm in your faith in an ungodly culture? Because if you do it with all the truth, you might be right but you're going to be a jerk and you're going to be judgmental and mean. But if you just do it with nothing but love and grace, then, then, then you're going to be soft. And, and, and then it's like, well, what are you even standing up for? And, and it's like, we think that it's one way or the other. And, and I want to challenge you and say that there is a way to do it where we can walk in the middle, in the balance of what we're going to call grace and truth. Grace and truth. Reading the book of Daniel, studying it a few years ago, and I've read a bunch of commentaries and a bunch of books on it, but there was one book in particular that really jumped out that I, I really loved. And so it was Chris Hodges, a pastor in Alabama. He wrote a book called The Daniel Dilemma, and he, I think, greatly did a great job of capturing the spirit of the book of Daniel. And, and so if you want to dive deeper in this, I recommend the book highly. And, and, and if you read the book, you might go, gee, Pastor Matt said some of the things that were in that book in this series. And it's true because I've read this stuff and it deeply impacted me and what comes in automatically starts to come out. And, and so this book was incredible, but, but the series, we're going to be preaching through the book of Daniel. And, and it's interesting is when I think about the book of Daniel, my first exposure was Veggie Tales. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? In the fiery furnace and, and, and the mouth of Daniel and the, Daniel and the, and the lion's den and, and all these different Bible stories that we see. And, and all I think of is the little vegetables acting out the, 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 the cartoon version of these Bible stories all the time. I thought about even playing clips this morning, but I thought, no, I'll spare you. Maybe next week. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one of the most famous stories in the book of Daniel. About the fiery furnace and all the different stuff that went on there. And so today we're going to start in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up. If you have a device, please open it, get there. If you want to follow along on the screen, you're welcome to follow along on the screen. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. 
In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Joachim, king of Judah, to his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They came over, they dominated them, and they took them into captivity. And they stole stuff out of the temple of God and brought it back to their place and put it and intermixed it with their things, their artifacts that they worshipped with their God. They were captured into, taken into captivity. Verse 3, And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, Use without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. They wanted the, the, the royal family, they wanted the influential people, they wanted all the Instagram influencers, all the good looking people. You know, I know what you're thinking, it's just like you and like me, they would have chosen every one of us as the good looking, influential, wise, well spoken. Because you know, I got to tell you this church, we may not be the biggest church in town, but we are the best looking church in town. Can I get an amen? Right? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, you're good looking. That's right. And if you're at home by yourself, you can look in the mirror and say, you're good looking. That's right. You are good looking. We are the best looking church in town. And so they get the smartest and the best-looking young men, and they, they start to train them. They indoctrinated the culture of influencers of their time into their ways. Because if you can indoctrinate the influencers into your ways, you gain more influence, right? That's what they were trying to do. And so verse number five, the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs came to them, gave them names. He gave them new names. Why not? So Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. He changed their names. I don't know about you, but I, I mean... If you're going to change my name, at least make it, I don't know, not Belshazzar. I mean, give me something that's easier to pronounce. Change your names. He gave them new names in in an attempt to conform their identities into their culture. All of this was an attempt to morph these guys into their culture. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in sight of the chief and the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the other youths who have your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So, so this guy is saying, listen, if you don't eat the same food as everybody else, you're going to look different. You're going to look frail. You're going you're to look skinny and weak if you don't eat this stuff. And, and, and I got to be honest, Daniel, corporate's going to notice. 
Corporate's gonna notice that you don't look the same. When we're on the Zoom calls, doing the thing, they're like, what's up with that guy? His skin tone isn't the same. And, 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 and he's like, listen, I'm middle management. This is a great job. I got a good gig here. Like, like just eat the food, Dan. Like, he's, he's basically like having to weigh this out. As, and he's like, well, because if I don't get you to do this thing, then my boss is gonna have my head. So then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs has assigned over these guys, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and he tested them for 10 days. So Daniel says, give us 10 days. Let us eat what we want to eat. Let them eat what the king wants them to eat. And at the end of 10 days, can you notice a difference? And, and, if, and if so, like, hey, listen, we'll just run this as a, a test. So many times we, we uh, do fasting and prayer, and people will talk about, well, I'm going to do a, a Daniel fast. Because when you look, it's like, this is what they're saying. Like, I'm going to eat like Daniel ate during this season, right? So Daniel fast, and, and it's vegetables and, and water, but we're not going to do meats or some of these other things. So is it, yeah, so here's what I got. I have three things this morning that I, I think really come out of this passage of Scripture that was something that we can all apply in our life, even today and right now. And so the first one is this, is that our culture wants to change our identity. Our culture wants to change our identity. They changed these guys' identity. They changed their name. In fact, if you look, culture wants to define you and I. They say, oh, you're a Christian? And they have a, a predefined script of what that looks like and what that means. It, it's not what the Bible says, but, but they have something over there. And it, normal, and it normally isn't very good, if I can be honest, their, their definition of, of that. And they try to shift. This is, well, if you're, if you're a Christian, then this is what you have to be like. Then this is what you have to do. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus did. And if we're believers of Jesus, we're following Jesus, and we're trying to become more Christ-like, I want to tell you that we've got to follow what the Word of God says about what it looks like to follow Him, not what culture says it looks like to follow Him. Amen? Like, we've got to be in that place where we cannot allow the culture around us to define what the Word of God says. Our, our life is, is, is not defined by that out there. It's defined what God says. God's word is what is the definition. So many times we, we can look in the Bible to see how does it reaffirm my cultural beliefs. But I want to tell you that's not how it looks. Our, our life is built on God's word and God's kingdom. So, so our identity is found in him and it's not found in what the world says. So the culture wants to change our identity. And here's the names that they changed from Daniel. Daniel meant God, it was defined as God is my judge. Belteshazzar was Lady Protect the King. They gave him a female name. He was a man, but they gave him a female name. In every pagan culture, there is gender confusion. In, in the history of humanity, every pagan culture has gender confusion. And so they, 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 even here, they're doing this. I see why Daniel didn't adopt the new name so easily. He was like, wait a minute. <laughs> because Daniel stayed Daniel, but he accepted the other names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for whatever reason. But he's like, no, 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 no. My name is Daniel, not Belteshazzar. And Hananiah, which the other guy, Hananiah said, Yahweh has been gracious. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. But Shadrach means I am fearful of God. So he, the shift from God is gracious to I am fearful of God. It went from God is for me to God is not for you. 
that God is against you. Listen, there was, there was a shift that, that, that the culture was trying to place on these guys saying, listen, God is, is your enemy. He's not your friend. Mishael, his name says, who is what God is? Like, that God is so great. Who else could be like God? Who is what God is? But Meshach says, I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. From confident to insecure. Renaming, rebranding. Listen, our culture wants us as believers not to be confident, but they want us to be insecure. Second-guessing our steps. How should I respond? Gee, I don't know. I'm not sure. What, what's this? No, no, we should be confident in who God has called us to be. Azariah, his name means Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has helped. But Abednego says, servant of Nebo. So God was good or I am serving someone else. Redefining your future. You see, the God who made you is the God who defines you. The God who made you is the one who is for you and he is not against you. You see, when culture wants to shift, we must know who we are. Not by what they say, but by what God says. So many times in life we get stuck looking to the left and to the right for affirmation and confirmation of who we are and what we're doing and am I taking the right steps. But I want to tell you that, that that's not the life God called us to live. Even though the left and the right might say, no, you need to change this or you need to change that. So you need to be, listen, we look straight up and say, God, who do you want me to be? Who have you called me to be? What do you say that I am? My identity isn't found in this. My identity is found in that. And that's what we need to be doing as believers. Number two, the culture wants to compromise our standards. The culture wants to compromise our standards. You felt the pressure to compromise. You have a dilemma and you're wanting to serve God while simultaneously you feel the pressure of the world. Because the pressure of the world is real and the desire to serve God is real. And those two things sometimes don't feel like they're compatible. So, so how, do you, how do you do it? We, we, we have this balance in our, in our life that we're like, I feel the pressure of this and I want to do that. How do you be in the world but not of the world? as scripture says. How do you how do you do that? Because if you just abandon everything in culture and you go run off in your own little hermit closet and it's just you and Jesus, that's great. Your relationship with God will be strong, but how can you be an influence? How can you lead others to Christ if you are so far detached from reality? How do you do that? How can you be in the world but not of the world? What's the balance and the pressure that you find? If you ever find yourself living in that tension, get comfortable with it. Because the tension is there, the balance is there. And, and I want to encourage you that, that God didn't call us to a trouble-free life. He called us to a life of extending his kingdom, and that's going to take work. It's going to have pressure. It's going to feel balanced. And some days you're going to feel like you're more balanced one way than the other. But I want to tell you that there is a way that you can have both grace and truth in the midst of a world and a culture around us that just doesn't seem very open to it. They're just a little harsh right now between protests and riots and Facebook rants and posts and, and what they call news today and all the opinion that's spewed all around the world and all the anger that's coming from all kinds of different angles. It's not a, a, not a one certain particular angle. It feels like it's coming from everywhere. We can be a beacon of hope and love and light and truth all at the same time. You don't have to compromise truth to be able to be someone who's dealing hope and love and grace. They're not exclusive. They can be done in the same package. We, the temptation is to start to move God's word to a place of moral relativity. 
And this is what it starts to look like. Well, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that. And we start to justify the moral relativity that we, that we live in. You see, God's word is for you and not against you. And when culture shifts, we have to reaffirm our convictions. The third point is this. Culture wants to create a confrontation. Culture wants to create a confrontation. How many times Daniel and his friends, their faith was tested? All through the book of Daniel, you'll see it that that their faith was tested over and over and over and over again. When culture shifts, it is critical that we must respond the right way. Because when culture shifts, we tend to go one of two directions. One of two directions. And one of them is being super dogmatic. Just absolutely like, I'm right and you're wrong. 100%. That's it. That's all there is to it. Dogmatic only. It's black and it's white. And, and it's right and it's wrong. And if you're wrong, you're going to hell. And, and, and it can turn into this really anger-filled, judgmental, condemning position that, that we're all capable of falling into. Whether you're a Christian or not, to be honest, people fall into this dogmatic path. You know, someone once said, you know, why, why are Christians so judgmental and angry? And it's like, well, I don't know if those people were, um, I think maybe they were judgmental and angry before they were Christian. <laughs> and they just carried it over. Well, how come some Christians are weird? I think they were weird before they became a Christian. How come some Christians are? How come some Christians are? Listen, here's the thing is like Christian isn't, isn't the noun Christians the adjective, right? I'm a, I'm a Christian businessman. I'm a Christian pastor. I'm a, I'm a Christian, you know, uh, whatever it is, a teacher, Christian, whatever. It, so, so sometimes it's like we, we think, well, Christian is the one umbrella and everybody's going to look like this cookie cutter thing. And that's, that's not the case. There's a wide variety of, of humanity that, that, that says, no, I'm going to be a follower of, of Christ. Dogmatic. I'm right and, I'm, and you're wrong. That is something we want to avoid. We don't want to go down too far down that path. Or why is it the other extreme is this? In the name of love, we just let everybody in. We just, oh, everybody is fine. You, you just do you. Your truth is your truth. You know? And oh, I just grace for everything. And, and, and there's no confrontation at all. There's got to be the balance. Daniel did it. And Jesus modeled it in really a perfect, perfect way. The keyboardist would come. We're going to wrap up. You see, Jesus never compromised what they believed. Jesus and Daniel, they never compromised what they believed, but, but people around them felt loved at the same time. How did Jesus do that? He didn't compromise what he believed, but people felt loved. How, how, how do we have truth and love, truth and grace in, in, the, in the same package? In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that's Jesus, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You see, truth is God's standard. You sanctify them by the truth. But grace is God's favor. And he favors you even when you're not favorable. That's the power of God's grace, is that he favors you even when you're not favorable. In Ephesians 2, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, but it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So grace and truth. Without truth, we're corrupt. And with 
Without grace, we're condemned. Without truth, we become worldly. But without grace, we become judgmental. Without truth, truth without grace is mean. And then grace without truth, well, honestly, it's meaningless. Truth and grace is a medicine. You see, grace invites us to be free, but the truth is what sets us free. Jesus modeled this in, um, in John chapter eight. There was the adulteress that got caught in adultery, in the act of adultery. And um, it's funny, I don't know how the Pharisees, the religious leaders caught them in the act. Um, that alone sounds like maybe another problem that needs to be dealt with. But the Pharisees caught the, the woman and the man in the act of adultery. And so they, they, they think they found a way to trap Jesus. And so they grabbed the woman no, no word on who the man was or where he went, but they grab the woman and they drag her out in front of Jesus. And now there's a bunch of religious leaders gathering around and they shove her into the middle and they say, what say you to Jesus? She was caught in the act because the truth would be you stone her. That would be the rules right there. They'd all pick up rocks and throw it at the woman until she died. What do you say? They set up a trap. Is it grace or is it truth? Which one's it going to be, Jesus? And it's funny, they, they, they say that he, he knelt down in the sand and, and he, he, he started doodling and kind of drawing in the sand. And, and, uh, and then he stops and he says, how about you without any sin, you with no sin, you throw the first stone. He keeps drawing in the sand. And one by one, they just started to leave until eventually just the woman was left. And we don't know what he drew in the sand. It doesn't actually say. I wonder if maybe he started listing off sins of different people. Maybe, maybe like writing the mistress's name in the sand of, of the different people, you know, Sally, Mary. You know, like, I don't know what he wrote. We don't, we don't really know. I like to speculate. And at the end of it all, he's, he's been drawing in the sand. Everybody's left. And all that's left is him and the woman. And he says, where are your accusers? And she's like, I don't have any. They've left. And he says, well, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. He hold high the truth. And he freely gave God's grace. I love that we serve a good God who is full of grace and truth. I love that when he confronts us, he doesn't do it in this weird public forum. He does it privately. He confronts us strong with the truth, but he gives us grace so that we can actually take it because truth without grace would just crush us and grace without truth becomes meaningless. So church, here's my challenge to you. As we live out our Christian faith in a culture that is changing and shifting and moving. God, I just, my prayer is this, is that, is that we as a church will be a church of people who can embrace both grace and truth. Grace and truth. You might, you might be here this morning, whether in person or online, and, and, and maybe you've only experienced the truth side, or maybe you've only experienced the grace side. I want to tell you that God is here, and he wants to embrace you with grace and with truth. 
Maybe you've experienced the truth people who are just harsh and judgmental, or the grace people who are like, yeah, whatever goes, sure, yeah, whatever. Listen, there's a balance there. And the same Jesus that saved me and saved all these people that are part of our congregation, he's reaching out his hand to you today and he wants to save you too. You see, following Jesus, is this is what it looks like. It's as simple as A, B, C. A is that you admit that you are a sinner and that you need a savior. B is that you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that, that he died on the cross for your sins. And then C is that you confess him as the Lord of your life. You would pray a simple prayer, something that looks like I admit that I'm a sinner and I've fallen short. I believe, God, that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price on the cross for my sins. And, and today I confess Jesus as the Lord and savior of my life. Help me to live all of my days for you. Pray a prayer, something similar to that. If you made that decision today, I want to know about it. You can text in to our office and, and say decided. It's a new step on a new path and a new journey. And I want to help you on your way as you start to follow Jesus. It's a wonderful, wonderful life. It's not easy, but it's full of all kinds of excitement and, and purpose following Jesus. And for everybody else, I just want to say a quick prayer of everyone here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, we just love that you are so full of grace and truth and that you've balanced it and modeled it and you extend both to us freely all the time. God, help us to be imitators of you. God, help those who follow you. Help everyone who says Jesus is the Lord of their life. God, help every one of us, God, to model the grace and truth balance so that we can be in the world but not of it. Not letting the culture define us, God, but letting you define us. And God, as tests and trials come, God, that we might be able to walk in your steps that you've ordained for us so that you might become famous in the midst of it all. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Church, it's, it's been good. I've, it's been enjoyable. I'm so glad that we're starting to gather together and, and, and see this church start to kind of come back together. This is the end of our service. And, and, and back to the same thing is that you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here kind of thing. We're doing our best to adhere to all of the social distance and guiding lines and masks and stuff. So help us out. Stay, keep your masks on as you're leaving. And, and, um, and you can hang out in the outside. There's some shade and fresh air. Again, try to stay as safe as, as possible. Our lobby is closed uh, in order just to help, to help limit the close contact. But God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And I just can't wait to see you next Sunday. Father, meet me My life for all of your glory, your grace, let it surround me, let faith change the atmosphere.
catch a fight. Don't worry, it'll be alright. Don't worry, he will make your heavy light. Don't worry, don't worry, this love is always right on time. I've been trying to figure out my own way, trying to put it all on me. Weighed down by the pressure Without looking up, I know you see me Cause on and on and on you keep blessing me But on and on and on I keep worrying Why I'm always running when you're telling me Telling me don't worry Just lay it down, it's not your fight Don't worry, it'll be The shoulders for the burdens I'm bearing broke down and pulling over by the wayside. Was never made for this type of way, so I throw my hands up and my load gets lighter. I throw my hands up and then burn like fire. Float up to heaven like the smoke in the air. I flip my worries in the prayer, leave them right there. Just lay it down, it's not your fight. Don't worry, it'll be
Waking up to another light. No more sorrow and no more night. You're the light. Let it shine now. Let it shine now. Burning bright because we're not ashamed. Got a world to illuminate. You're the light. Let it shine now. Let it shine now.
rejoicing, breaking silence. You are my God alone. Time to stand on your word with passion. Heaven's our